0: Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 3. We're going to continue on with our next uh, little portion of the series here. Luke chapter 3. A few weeks back, a friend of mine. We were we were watching some uh, some basketball actually, and uh, he says, "So, what's your favorite thing to cook?" That was just uh, this kind of like random little question that that got thrown out there, and and um, it it did honestly. It took me back for a moment there because it's just. It's just a random thing to ask, you know. But then on the other side of it, I don't really consider myself to be a a chef or, or really into cooking. It's not like a hobby of mine or anything, but it was an interesting question. Maybe you could ask that of yourself. What's your favorite thing to cook. The very first thing that popped in my mind was uh, Cuban sandwiches. I love making Cuban sandwiches, primarily because I love eating Cuban sandwiches. And so if I can make a Cuban sandwich, I can eat a Cuban sandwich. And while I'm on the topic, I think we've gotten pretty lax with the word cook, right? Uh, um, everybody says, well, I cooked this or something. I feel like I'm cooking when I make the coffee in the morning or when I get the Pop-Tarts ready, you know, that sort of thing. I'm not sure that counts, but I feel like I'm cooking, like I'm, I'm making something. I, um, well, another thing that I like to make or prepare, uh, I really wouldn't call it cooking, is, is salsa. I love to make salsa for the same reason I love to make Cuban sandwiches. is because I like to eat it, all right? So when you're making salsa, here's the thing you need to know. When you're making salsa, you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. These, the ingredients aren't things that we just normally have laying around. And so if we want to make salsa, we have to plan that, go get the stuff, and have it sitting there. There's been a couple of times when we go to make salsa, and, and uh, we don't have everything. We either don't have the vinegar or, or the cilantro. One time we went to make salsa, and we had no jalapenos. No jalapenos at all. You cannot make salsa without jalapenos or or any peppers. You just, you cannot do it. Here's really where I'm trying to get at with this. If you expect to eat homemade salsa, then you need to be prepared for it. If you're expecting to eat homemade salsa, then you need to prepare for it. Luke chapter 3 verse 15 tells us very clearly and plainly that the people, all of them, were expecting... To see the Messiah. But the reality was, as we read through the text, they weren't prepared to see Jesus. They expected to see something, some Savior, some hero that they would call the Messiah, but in reality, they weren't actually prepared to see Jesus as he is, uh, who the real Messiah is. We're starting a new um, uh, eight part series here called Jesus Is. And every week, that little video that you saw just a moment ago, every week it will end with a new attribute or a new characteristic of the story. Jesus is, and then fill in the blank. And we're going to start here this morning asking ourselves the very same question. If we're going to be introduced to Jesus, uh, if we expect to see Jesus, are we prepared to see Jesus as he is? To see Jesus as Luke, a friend of his, reveals him. As Luke, a, a person who, who did research and talked to the eyewitnesses and, and was around people. If Luke reveals him this way, are we prepared to see Jesus as he is? I hope today that we would, that we would leave here, to, that we would end this conversation prepared to see Jesus as he truly is. Expecting to see Jesus as Jesus reveals himself. Let's pray together and then we'll look at the text. God, thank you uh, for... Your words, thank you for your blessings. God, we stand here now as a church, as a family, watching online, connected here in the room. God, we are, we are overwhelmed knowing that we don't deserve the blessings that you have given us. God, we don't know what to expect when it comes to 2021, but, but God, I pray that we are prepared to deal with it. I, pro- I pray that we are prepared to, to be unified together as a church and as a people. That we would walk into these uncertain times, these unknown times. Not unknown because things are happening, just unknown because they are in the future. And God, I pray that we would glorify you, that we would be closer together as a church. But most of all, God, we would leave here today prepared to meet you as you are. Especially over the next eight weeks as we, as we look at who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. I already told you we're in Luke Luke 3, that's, that's the chapter. We're going to be in, uh, looking at verse 7 through 18. This is a series within a series. We are going straight through Luke, okay? And what we did was we took the whole book and then we divided it into smaller series. We started with a three-part series that was our Christmas series. And it was really seeing how Luke starts this epic, this two-part epic, um, the Gospel of Luke and then the Book of the Acts of the early church, and how he took those two parts there and he starts it with these two accounts of, of birth announcements. And what that really sets up for us. And then we had a two-part series where um, David and Nathan explained to us this at the temple scenes. These two stories, the only two stories we have of Jesus between his birth and his ministry there, and and how Jesus does not tear away the temple, does not tear away or, or do away with the Old Testament, but he fulfills it. He helps us to see it as it truly is there at the temple. Now, we are going into, like I said, an eight-part series where we're going to see Jesus introduced. This is who Jesus is. What's relevant to us, particularly as we refer to the first uh, one, two, and three chapters, is this um, note, is this nomenclature, this, this, uh, this designation that Luke is giving to John the Baptist about what he was born to do what he was actually, uh, what he was created to do, his, his, his purpose in this life. He says it in 1, verse 17. He also says it in 3, verse 4. This is what 3, 4 says. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. What's very clear is this Old Testament quote from Isaiah applied to John the Baptist was to reveal to us that John's whole purpose, his whole mission in life was to prepare the way of Jesus, to prepare the people's hearts to accept Jesus. So that's, that's a great place for us to start as we're going to look at uh, the next seven weeks at who Jesus is. Are you prepared to see Jesus as he is, as, as he reveals himself? If you have your journal, um, we're on page 22 and 24, and, and there's more of those available if you want to pick one of those up. What I'm going to uh, what I'm going to do right now is just kind of read through the text, and I want to make some comments as we go. I hope that's not annoying to you. sometimes it's annoying to me. So I'm going to try to make them as brief as possible. We're just going to read through the text, verse seven down to 18, and I'm just going to make some comments as we go. He, that's John the Baptist, he then said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him. Now stop right there. Baptized is a word that we use a lot. In fact, um, our particular part of the Christian family refers to ourselves as Baptist. We say that word quite a bit. It, it has a number of meanings. Obviously, the meaning for us is different than the meaning for the Jews, but to, to, to be simple with it, it means to identify with. If you're being baptized, you're identifying with a certain person or a certain way of thinking. This huge crowd comes out to be baptized, identified with God and with the way that John is teaching. And he says to them, you brood of vipers, you, you pit of snakes. That's, that's harsh. It's, it's, it's a really uh, not nice way to greet somebody. What seems to us Is that they're coming out To do a good thing To be identified by God Or identified with God And and he calls them A brood of vipers When the Bible talks About vipers It might mean something A little different Than the way that you And I say it If you were to call Somebody a viper You probably wouldn't Call them that you call them a snake Right You're saying That person is snaky Or or that person Watch out for them They are uh, He or she she, They're they're a snake When we're saying that We're talking about Usually At least when I say it I'm talking about uh, They're shifty You can't trust them Uh, They'll bite you, right? That's kind of how I use the word snake. I don't know if maybe that's the same way that you use the word snake. When he's talking about it, and when the Bible uses vipers or or venomous snakes, those kind of things to refer to people, they're, they're meaning to attach the people to Satan, all right? In Genesis, Satan is identified as a snake. And so you are acting like a snake. You are acting like Satan. So when they come out, catch what's going on here in just one verse. When they come out to be baptized, identified with God, John stops them and says, you cannot be baptized because you're acting like Satan. He he asked them a question. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? That's this judgment that's going to come on those who are not identified with God. And so again, it's this identity. You're going to see a theme throughout the text where it talks about fruit. It talks about father and son. It's this whole concept of acting like your father. That's what's going on all the way through John's uh, sermon here. He says who 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 told you to flee from the wrath of God the judgment of God if you are against God acting like Satan then God will judge you that's what's going on in verse 7 therefore he says produce fruit consistent with repentance and don't start saying to yourself we have Abraham as our father for i tell you that God is able to raise up children from for Abraham from these stones that Abraham as their father it was their great-great-grandfather. They were Jews, okay? But it had, it had religious and national characteristics to it as well. They're saying, God's not going to judge us. Or John is saying, don't say that God won't judge you because you're a Jew religiously, because you're a Jew with heritage, because you're a Jew nationally, because God can make a nation out of stones. God can make children out of rocks, the axe is already at the root of the tree therefore every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire verse 10 they ask okay then what should we do if that's not good enough then then what are we supposed to do the crowds were asking in verse 11 and he replied to them the one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none and the one who has food must do the same tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and, and they asked him teacher what should we do And he told them, don't collect any more than what you have been authorized to collect. It's interesting that John doesn't say, stop collecting taxes, because that's not the point. He says, only collect what you're authorized to collect. Verse 14, and some soldiers also questioned him, well, then what should we do? Okay, what are we doing? What are we doing? What What should we do? And he said to them, don't take money from anyone by force or false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. Verse 15, This is really key to our understanding, at least at the launch of things. Now the people were waiting expectantly. They expected to see something. And all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John, because of the way he's teaching, with authority, and from the voice of God, might be the Messiah. That's what they wanted to see. That's who they were expecting to see. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water. Essentially what John's about to say is, no. I'm not the Messiah. The Messiah is great, and I'm I, I'm, I'm really nothing. I'm lesser compared to him. I baptize you with water, but the one and the, powerful, the one more powerful than I am, is coming. I'm not worthy to even untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barns, that's those who are with God, But the chaff will be burned with the fire that never goes out. That's those who are not with God. Judgment, wrath, pain, eternal separation, completely separated. Jesus is going to be the one that divides that line. You're with Jesus, good. Not with Jesus, bad. Then, along with many other exhortations, he proclaimed good news to the people that's what's going on there that's the sermon this is the big thing this and then when um, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus this is the big uh, sort of story that we get about John the Baptist and so it it drives us to uh, a very clear observation and a very clear question if John came to prepare the people for Jesus and the next story with John baptizing Jesus is obviously not preparing for Jesus that's Jesus then how 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 does John prepare their hearts for Jesus? And if we can get at that, then we can answer the question whether or not we are prepared for Jesus. If we expect to see Jesus over the next seven weeks, or just in our lives, in our day, and in our families, in our work, if we expect to see Jesus show up, are we prepared to see Jesus the way that He actually is? There's three things that John does in this sermon. in in the way that he speaks to them. The first one is that he warns them of judgment. He warns them of wrath. This is one of the most gracious blessings in the scriptures, and yet at the same time, it is one of the most uncomfortable realities of the message that the Bible communicates to us, and that's simply this. God will judge those who are not with him. God will pour out his wrath, His righteous anger on the evil, on sinners. He's going to do that. He's already done that. He's already began to let us participate in that. All of us are sinners. All of us are part of the brokenness of this world. And all of us experience some measure of God's wrath on us. When we experience the the consequences of our decisions when we experience separation whether that separation is just distance or that separation is caused when there's a rift in the family or, or a chasm in a relationship when we experience death natural death we are all experiencing the consequences of our sin God is pouring out God is allowing us to taste the wrath or the judgment of our sin against him but that being the case the truth is there is coming a day, there is going to be a reckoning in which no one will get away with anything. Sometimes, from our perspective, we see the world as people doing bad things and they get away with it. Much worse, we see people do bad things or evil things or corrupt things and, and they're praised for it, or they benefit from it, or or they become wealthy off of it, and we feel like there is an injustice. And in reality, you are right. That is unjust. But in God's economy, in God's plan, there will be a reckoning. There will be a day, and you can rest assured, no one will get away with anything. And that applies to you as well. You may think you got away with it. You may think that God doesn't care. You may think that there's no um, real consequences, that it's all under the rug, that it's all shoved in the closet. But no one gets away with anything. Every sin will have a reckoning. Every defiance against God will have a reckoning. And this is a gracious thing for the Bible to let us know about. That God will judge sin and sinners. Sadly though, we tend to either not believe it or we ignore it. We don't believe it in that we cannot conceive of a God... That would pour out his wrath on people. People that we think are good people. People that we love ourselves. We cannot conceive a God that would do those things. But here's the problem it is not yours to conceive God. You can't conceive God in any way. God is who God is. He is not made into our image, and he has declared that he will righteously, meaning he is right in doing it, justly pour out wrath on those who have rebelled against him. And so we tend not to believe it, or maybe not worse, but equally bad, we ignore it. We accept the reality that God will judge, but we try to, we try to act like it doesn't affect us. Like, we have eternity, that we'll have tomorrow to repent and believe in God, that we'll just keep on in this and and then the next week or, or when I get closer to death or when I get through this stage or when I have this fun, when I do these things, then at some point I'm going to, at that point, accept God and accept Jesus but you're not promised that. You're not promised tomorrow. There's this reality that whether or not It's COVID, whether or not it's some tragic accidents, or it's just your time to go, that you are not promised another day. And so you can't just ignore the reality that God will judge sinners, that you cannot put it off to another time. You You should not wait to tell those you love that God will judge sinners. Those who are apart from God stand in the absolute danger of God's own wrath. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what John is telling them. I think, um, I think about it like, you know, in, when you're in college, you get a syllabus. You, you get... Um, like an agreement between you and the professor this is what you are supposed to do if it's a good syllabus they'll say this is what you're supposed to do when you're in high school it's the same thing even sometimes when you're at work there's an assignment and there is a due date but all of us in our worst times you know there was an assignment here or, or something on the syllabus here or something that we uh we we just put off right it, it, we weren't going to deal with it right now we're not going to do it right now but then there comes that sunday night and it's due like on tuesday and there is a time of reckoning at that point you either have to do it or you fail you knew that it was coming it's best to deal with it now instead of putting it off hebrews 9:27 says it is appointed it is planned god knows for people to die once and after this the judgment you will be judged All sinners will be judged. That's what the Bible says. And we're talking about expectations and being prepared. And so, friend, you, every single one of you that are sitting here listening to me, regardless of your age or how long you've been a part of this church or what you do, the good things you do, or the good people you are, are you ready for that? To stand before God and to be judged by God's righteous standard. The first thing in order to prepare the people for Jesus was John standing up letting them know that sinners are in danger of God's wrath. It's benevolent. It's good. He told them that they were in danger of the wrath and then he pointed out their need. See, here's what we do. We tend to do this with religion and they were doing the exact same thing. We get to the point where we think it kind of makes sense that God is going to judge people, right? Because there's a lot of foolish people out there. There's some evil people that do really bad things and stir up other people to do really bad things. There is foolishness out there, and it makes sense to me that if we're talking about like the people of Nineveh, that God is going to pour out his wrath on these other people because that's the way that we, we manipulate religion, that God's wrath, if we accept it and if we believe in it, is for them. But God's grace and his love, that's for me. John dispels all of that he puts a stop to that sort of thinking that it's not just for them because the Jews were good at that the Jews were really good at there's us the chosen people and then all those people God hates he puts a stop to that saying God's judgment is for you you need saving you need some sort of escape because God is looking at you to judge you. Verse 8, he says, Don't say to yourself that, that we have Abraham as our father. Don't say that because that's not good enough. They thought their heritage, who their, their, who their grandmother was, who their grandfather was was going to save them. And a lot of people walk around like that even, uh, even now, even today. They think, well, my dad was a deacon or my mom was a Sunday school teacher. Listen, you don't get into heaven with a note from your mama. That's not how this works. But that's also good news. Because a lot of you are sitting in this room right now and you didn't have really great parents. Like your parents weren't Sunday school teachers and deacons and all that kind of you stuff. Just, you just had um, maybe just what we would think of as normal parents, right? Just just not that righteous, not that bad. Some of you, sadly, had bad parents. They did bad things. And so When you stand before God, you stand there not under their righteousness and not under their guilt. You stand there with your own need for a Savior. You stand there with your own reckoning. He says, don't do that. And this leads them to the question, that's what I was trusting in, my heritage. So then what should I do? Quickly, there were three kinds of people. I'll just explain it real quickly. What I thought, if I was put in categories, was the wealthy the connected, and the powerful. Uh, The person who has two shirts and plenty of food would have been considered somebody who was of means. The tax collectors had friends in high places. They knew Romans. They stood in between the Jews and the Romans, and so they were somewhat connected. The soldiers are powerful. They're strong with weapons, and their friends are powerful with strong weapons. These people are, are wealthy, they're connected, and they're powerful to them, John answers pretty, pretty simply. He says, if you have extra, give to those who are in need. If you're collecting taxes, only do what you're authorized to do. If you're a soldier, don't use your strength to take from other people. Instead, you know, protect them. If you were to sum up how John responds to them, he tells them this, that the children of God, people who are identified with God, think little of possessions and much of other people. They, they, they care very little for possessions. They see them as tools and resources and blessings that God has given them, but they are given to them to leverage for the good of other people. That's what he's teaching them. He's saying, look, this is what you need to do. He's also revealing that they weren't doing that. None of the people were standing there going, yeah, but I've done that. Yeah, but I've done that. Yeah, but I've done that. Instead, all of these people were standing there guilty of of lifting up possessions and pushing down people, of loving things more than them. So they are supposed to be doing these things, but they're not doing these things. And we need to be very clear here. John is not saying, if you do this, X, Y, Z, if you check these boxes, then you will be accepted by God. It's not if I make sure all of my chores are done, then God my Father is going to be happy with me. That's the exact opposite of what John is saying here. John is saying that those who are of God do these things. And because you don't do these things, I know that you are not of God, therefore, I'm not going to baptize you. That's that's sort of the message that John is pointing out there. You stand in God's judgment. You stand in God's judgment, and I know that because you're not acting like God. The other day we were having uh, fajitas at the house, and. Fajitas. I'm telling you, you can make or break fajitas with the tortillas. If, 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 if you get the wrong tortillas, it's going to taste bad. You, don't, you, you need, you need um, uh, handmade tortillas. And so we go to Los Tres Potrios, um over there by the highway, you know, um, to get fajitas, our, our tortillas. So you can walk in there and just order a bunch of tortillas. And as I was sitting in there um, contemplating the deep things of life, waiting on my tortillas, this, uh, this family walks in. There's a dad, two boys, and a mama. And and they walk in and told him their their number and they were like how long they have to wait and all that. The dad had a Kansas City Chiefs shirt on or or, you know like jacket on. That doesn't surprise me. A lot of people around here uh, like the Chiefs. The son, one of the sons had San Diego's Chargers uh, jacket on. That's two different football teams, people. That's just, it didn't make sense to me. The, the third son had Atlanta Falcons. Um, sure and I just sat there grieving the breakdown of the nuclear family in America. <laughs> I, because it really was, I've never thought about this before, but I sat there thinking to myself, you don't choose your football teams. What is this, what is this family not raising their children in the way of the Lord? You are, you are given your teams based on your dad. That's just the way that it works. At least that's just the way. It, you cheer for the same crummy team your whole life because your dad cheered for that crummy team his whole life. I didn't understand it. I... And and I mean, I get, I understand it. I'm not stupid. But at the same time, it was new to me. It was not a concept that is in our house. Every now and then, one of my sons will try to cheer for somebody other than the, the Cowboys or Longhorns. And they have to eat outside. Because in our family, this is who we cheer for. This is just the way that it works in our family. What I'm talking about here with football teams, and what John is talking about over here, is there are these things that you don't get from your parents. There are these things that you don't pick up from your dad. There are these things that you have to stand on your own, that you have to make your own decisions. And your standing before God is one of those things. But that is your decisions are often revealed in the way that we act like our fathers or our mothers or our parents or our grandparents or whoever it was that raised you. We act the way that is given to us because we do pick up those things. And so in this case, you're either acting like the serpent or you're acting like God. Because they were acting like the serpent, he knew they were not of God. So this is not really great news. John says, hey, good morning. God is going to kill you. That's uh, just letting you know. And Jesus is coming, by the way. Let's have a party. That's not good news, except for he gets all the way to verse 18 and it says, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed to them the good news. Well, then what is the good news? Obviously, the good news is escaping God's wrath and being a child of God. And so he tells them that you can escape that. You stand in danger of God's wrath. And yet, if you, what ends up in verse 8, repent, then you can be a child of God. You can turn from those things. He says in verse 8, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Repentance is the key here. Repentance means to turn away from. John's saying, stop trusting Abraham as your father. Stop trusting your good works, or your position, or your power, or your influence, or who you know, or all the stuff that you possess, and trust in Jesus. If you trust anything else, then you need to turn from that thing and trust Jesus. God, you need to turn away from trusting in your heritage, from your possessions, from your connections, from your power, from your politics, from your intellect. And you can add a bunch of other things to that list, I'm sure. But if you stood before Jesus, if you died and you stood before Jesus and he asked you, how do I know that you are with me? He's not going to ask that because he already knows. But if he did, if your answer is anything other than you, I trust you. Jesus, you are my only hope in all of this, if your answer is anything other than that, then you stand in judgment of God's wrath, and you will be judged. No one gets away with anything. That's how John prepares them, by showing them where they are and what they need to do you should feel confronted with this very same reality. You're not watching a movie. This isn't something that you just walk in here, sit down in these chairs, and just kind of like take it in and then walk away and go grab a bite to eat. This is truth. This is reality. And it's confronting you as well. My friend, listen, every one of you, if you don't trust Jesus, you stand in danger of God's judgments. And only God can save you from God. Only God can save you from God's wrath. And so I'm telling you, I'm begging you today, turn away from all of that. As good as all of that is, you have a beautiful heritage and great parents and nice things, and you're very smart, and you've got everything figured out. I believe that. I trust you. I'm on your side. But none of that saves you. Only trusting Jesus saves you. So today I'm begging you to trust Jesus if you haven't done that. If you want to trust Jesus this morning, then, then um, do it right now. Pray to him, accept him. If you want to talk to a minister, talk to one of us after the service. You can also text a word. There's going to be a word on the screen. You can text the word TALK to that number and we'll talk to you later. If you're watching online, we're so glad that you're watching online, you can text that same word. You can even write in the comment section, that I want to talk to somebody about accepting Jesus. And, and we'll be there. We'll talk to you right now. We'll do that in direct messages. Whatever it is, I'm begging you to go ahead and do that. If you're watching online, maybe you're not on Facebook, you can go to mysecond.family slash next steps and, and, and complete the connect card. There's a bunch of different ways. For you to get the help that you need to get, and I want to do that for you. If you've already trusted Jesus as your Savior, then I've got two things for you to do. The first one is to be baptized. Be baptized. Stand up and identify with God and his teachings. I don't care how long ago you accepted Jesus, now's the time. Let's settle this this year. Let's settle this this year. For those of you who have not accepted Jesus as your Savior, right now, Starting 2021, you accept Jesus as your Savior. And for those of you who have not been baptized, right now, you stand up and say, I identify with Jesus before your church. And then pray for those who have not yet accepted Christ as their Savior. Pray for them. Like a lot of you, I, um, I started the new year with like resolutions. I'm going to do some stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'll quit in a couple months but I'll start right now, you know and so I'm going to start this diet or, or, or I'm going to work out a little bit more, read my Bible whatever it is, you, you probably started some of those and I'm one of the people that think that's great, I think if you do a good job for two months and then you, you slack off for, two, that's better than doing a bad job for twelve months, so I think you, you know try it, try it out and like some of you, I went and looked at an app. You know, I looked at a couple apps. I need an app for something that's going to help me, um, you know, be better physically. You know, like get into health. And there's a bunch of apps on there. You can, you can download a ton of apps that are health apps. All of them start sort of the same as, you, as you're looking through. Them. They, start, they ask you your name, your email, some stuff like that. Then they want to know your height and uh, your weight, you know, things like that. Then they all, most, will ask you this one question. And it is, essentially, um, they'll say it in different ways, but essentially, where are you at right now like on the fit thing? You know, you're pretty healthy, you're not really healthy, or are you a slob, or are you like an athlete or something, you know? They don't say it, they say it much nicer than that. Like, uh, I've never worked out in my life, beginner, intermediate, super healthy, you should not be on this app, you know, stuff like that. And so, um, I, I, I was looking at one of them, and I thought to myself, you know, I thought, I'm not horrible. I can do this. I'll go one rung up, right? Here's the very bottom. I'll go this one here. I, I selected that one. And this one that I was on had follow-up questions. They didn't say it this way again, but it was like, essentially they were saying, are you sure? You know, that's what they said. I said, I'm intermediate. And they were like, am mm, not real sure. We're looking at you. You already typed in your height and your weight, so we know you're lying and so they were like uh can you run this much And i'm like well no not 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 at one time um can you do this many push-ups I, no not a long time um so you know that's, and then they, they're kind of like okay maybe you should start at this one you know they, they recommend that you go back to slob category and so you know that's what i had to choose in fact I just picked a different app because I'm not actually doing it to be healthy I'm just doing it to make myself feel better so that's why I did that so that feels harsh but in reality here's the good thing about it in the reality of things it's a good thing it's a very good thing because if I went in there and, and selected like athlete then they're going to make me do hard things like, like a sit-up. And so I have to, they have to put me in the right category, where I am. It is good for me in health, in eating, in whatever. It is good for me to actually sit down and actually be honest and look around and say, here I am. This is where I sit. Because to lie to myself and to lie to others actually will hurt me. It'll put me in far more danger. And so to start off this year, John is telling you, Luke is repeating what John said. Hey, look, you think all these other good things are good for you, and they're not. You actually sit in danger of God's judgment. So today, repent and get out of that. Just like the app is gonna say, here's where you start, but here's how you get better. You sit in danger, repent, and trust Jesus. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.